Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here, excuse me, at uh, Redeemer. Uh, And as we continue in a series in the Gospel of Luke that has taken us kind of all, all over the Gospel. Uh, we have, in the month of November, been in a series on prayer. Uh, and so, as you'll see there in your worship folder, uh, there's an outline with uh, the, uh, the passage on one side and, and the outline on the other of where we're, where we're going today. Last week, uh, Drew talked to us about how a, a busyness of heart, a busyness of life can really handicap our prayers. Uh, because what it does is it keeps us fixated on us, keeps us fixated on our, our doing, on our living life at a frenzied pace because uh, the world's operation, at least we think, depends on us, right? Uh, Luther's quote to his friend Philip, let, let Philip cease from ruling the world for one day. And that's really what prayer is because if you're praying, you're not working, right? You have to stop. Uh, And so we saw an illustration of Martha at the end of uh, Luke 10. Uh, You can either do life through doing or you can do life through asking. And Martha seems to be doing it through the doing. And Mary is resting at Jesus' feet. Well, coming to Luke chapter 11, if you have a Bible open, you can see as it kind of flows from one into the other. And we read some of these verses even last week. Um, Luke chooses to put the Lord's Prayer at a different place in his gospel than Matthew does. Uh, and part of the reason for that, at least the, uh, the scholars tell us, uh, is that uh, unlike Matthew, Luke puts it in the travel narrative because he, he kind of wants to underscore the fact that as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, uh, as Jesus is moving closer and closer to death, the life of faith is the life of prayer. The life 
that is moving constantly in this direction is the life that requires a constant dependence, a constant communication uh, with the Father. Because see, as busy as Jesus was, he was never alone. Uh, The fellowship, the communion that fed him, the, the communion that propelled him toward a busyness of life that made constant demands on him, that, that required attention from him, was speaking with his dad. It was his prayer that fueled his mission. So as the disciples see Jesus praying, which he did regularly, they ask him to teach them how to pray, or teach them actually, technically, to pray. Maybe they weren't up until this point, or they were really struggling with it. We can only assume that his example of prayer to them was a summary of not only his teaching, but his own practice. Okay? One thing that really strikes me, though, uh, about this is there's a simplicity. There's just a plain English way about the Lord's Prayer. You see that here uh, in Luke uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4. There is a, there's a simplicity to it. In Matthew, Jesus is contrasting his way of praying with the empty phrases that the Pharisees would heap up, right? Uh, but this is, is, is very childlike. It's, it's nothing more than kind of, hey, hey, Dad, can you help me? And that's, that's really it. Um, I don't know if, if you, well, you probably didn't because, you know, you're not supposed to keep your eyes open when you pray. You're supposed to bow your head and close them. Um, and so you may not have seen J.J. and Noah up here, but as Jeff prayed, you know, all five times he prayed in a matter of his time up here, um, that was meant to be a, a joke, but if you looked at Noah and J.J., you saw Noah and J.J. just kind of, you know, and making all sorts of, you know, and, and it, that's just, but, but that's children. I mean, they're just, they know that he's praying, they're, they're, God is here. That's just sort of normal. And I don't know about you, but a lot, a lot of times that's how I feel when I'm praying. It's very ADHD type of praying. But there's a simplicity to the prayer that Jesus gives us here uh, that, that should calm us, that should relax us, that should help us to feel a little bit better about the fact that sometimes uh, it can just be nothing more than, hey, Dad, can you help me? Uh, it is very probable that every prayer ever uttered by Jesus Christ began with the word what? Father. Um, in Aramaic, the word was Abba, and it was a word that indicated intimacy. And I think that's part of the secret to Jesus' way of doing life. When he thought about his relationship to God, it kept him childlike. And so in your uh, worship folder, I mentioned this outline, if you'll look at it, You'll see uh, where we're going. We're going to look at, first, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, Secondly, Lord, help us to pray. And I want to use the Psalms and try to encourage you to use the Psalms uh, to help you learn, help us learn to pray. And then lastly, the Father's goodness. Because unless we're convinced of that, uh, we won't pray. Okay? Let me read this uh, quote to you. It's from a guy named David Pallison. Uh, he's in the Philadelphia area, Bible teacher and counselor. But he says this, and I thought this was great. I wanted to share it with you. Learning to pray is not mainly about how often we pray or the techniques and elements that go into prayer. It is about how to need the right things and how to look in the right direction for what you need. What is the Lord's Prayer asking for? What are the Psalms asking for? 
What about God comes into view in the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms? This is what we ought to be asking for from others and how we ought to be praying for each other. The focus is on what people really need, not just the external blessings that we often crave, right? So how to need the right things, number one. Number two, how to look in the right direction for what uh, you need, okay? So first, let's look at uh, Lord, teach us to pray. Look at the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to walk through it uh, as, we, as we look at the, the different pieces of it, okay? It's significant Jesus begins with Father. I mentioned that a minute ago. And this word for Father combines a sense of intimacy with a respect for his authority. So it's not Daddy who will give me or do for me whatever I ask him who I have wrapped around my little finger. It's Daddy who I know is for me and yet, look at the very next statement. Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus follows up a sense of intimacy with a, with a respect for authority, literally something like, may your name be regarded as holy and may your glory be proclaimed. There's a great mystery. If you're here and not a Christian or new to Christianity or even investigating the church and Christianity, there is a great mystery at the heart of it. That is, God is a father, the Bible teaches, and at the same time, he's the maker and king and holy one. He's great and he's good. He knows the number of stars in the Milky Way. Can you imagine that? I mean, have you seen that lately? It's amazing. He knows how many stars, he can count them, that are in the Milky Way. And yet he knows how many times your individual heart beat yesterday. You. So he knows that, and he knows you. All at once. No other religion in the world teaches that or believes that about God. Not only that, look, uh, let's just keep going. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. There's a big picture here. There's a desire for creation to be restored from sin and ruin. There's a desire that injustice and chaos be banished. That's what your kingdom come means. In fact, your kingdom come is so significant in the life of Redeemer that it's central to the mission that birth does. Because our core mission statement is to make Jesus' invisible kingdom visible in Winter Haven, Polk County, and the world. Your kingdom come. That is, where it's not present yet, bring it, Father. Make it present. And we long for the day when every tear will be wiped away, everything sad will come untrue. And so in the meantime, as we believe God is doing that, we pray, Father, May your kingdom come in greater and greater and greater measure. Now, look what comes next. Uh, What daily realities do we need to be centering ourselves on? What is the thing or the things every day that God says in the reality of life, in the daily warp and woof of you living, what are you to focus on? Number one, daily bread. This is a preventative against anxiety and worry. It's asking the Father for daily provision. Again, it's what we really need. Prayer is knowing what we really need and where to go to find it, what direction to look to get it. It's a way to acknowledge that every single thing our hands touch is a gift from Him. Do you, do you realize that? i just remind you of that. Every single thing your hand has touched today or will touch before the day is out is a gift from Him. You did nothing to earn it, deserve it, 
you're not worth it other than the fact that he has said, it's mine, you're mine, I want to share it with you. Every single thing. Give us, Father, our daily bread. Boasting about tomorrow is something that the Bible warns us about again and again because boasting about tomorrow betrays a posture of humility and trust. What we really need, what we really need is God to provide today. And if he provided yesterday and provides today, then why worry about tomorrow? Right? Give us today our daily bread. Did he give you bread yesterday? Is he going to give it to you tomorrow? There is a simple trust that says he's faithful, he's been faithful, he will continue to be faithful. Not only daily bread, though, keep, keep going here. Give us each day what? Our daily bread. Give us each day forgiveness of sins. Give us each day the ability to forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's essentially what, what, the, uh, what the prayer is saying, what Jesus is inviting us into. See, we become indebted to each other whenever we sin against each other, and someone has to pay the debt. Uh, Someone has to absorb the cost. And it can't happen, it won't happen in relationships if it's not happened in our relationship with God himself. That's why Jesus says, forgive us our sins first, right? As we, or to enable us, so that we can forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so Jesus teaches us to cry out for forgiveness, to recognize our need of forgiveness. Why? Well, because we're sinners. Uh, if, if you don't uh, sin, uh, you, you don't need forgiveness, right? Apparently Ben and Jess Blasio, I mean, I don't know that they pray this because it sounds like they're amazing. Don't sin too much, Right? Uh, obviously, I'm kidding, but the, 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 the fact is, sinners need forgiveness. And so for you to say, Father, forgive me of my sin, says, I am a sinner. I need this from you. But it doesn't end there because a person who doesn't feel their need for forgiveness from God won't be sensitive to the need to forgive others. So we, we cry out, help, help, Father, I've sinned against you. And you hear my child. I forgive you for Jesus' sake. Go in peace. And the very next thing you hear is, or the very next thing you say is, Father, help. I need to forgive so-and-so for such-and-such. I'm having a hard time. I'm, I'm really struggling to do that. Would you remind me of your grace so that I can be full of grace? Because that's in essence what he's saying. Give us today our daily bread and fill us with a sense of your grace in forgiving us that we might in turn be full of grace. There it is. What I really need is to forgive. The only direction to look is to the gospel. The gospel tells me I'm forgiven because Jesus paid the cost in my place when I did nothing to deserve it. So now when I'm sinned against, especially if the person doesn't deserve it or they've made no overtures to me seeking to be forgiven, where's the ability to forgive them come from? knowing I've been forgiven. Jesus says the only way to human flourishing is when we forgive as we've been forgiven. So can you, can you feel how that tempers the way that we pray? Can you feel how that impacts daily life? If Jesus says every day, the things you need every day, provision, right? 
sustenance, the basics, centering yourself on the reality of the gospel, that you've offended your maker, that you need forgiveness of sin, and that other people are going to sin against you. And in order to forgive them, you've got to realize, you've got to dwell on, you've got to rejoice in your forgiveness. Forgive me and help me to forgive. It's a daily rhythm and it keeps the gospel in front of us. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation. Father, lead us not into temptation. There's a constant spiritual inventory. There's a soberness here regarding how susceptible we are to fall prey to temptation. Lead us not into temptation. You wouldn't pray that if you weren't susceptible to it, right? You wouldn't pray that if you couldn't feel the the temptations of your own heart and where you tend to go. It serves as a preventative care of the soul to say, Father, being conscious of my own weakness, I need to be defended by your protection because Satan has all kinds of deceitful, scary devices, and I'm so easily uh, prone to fall prey to them. Like the old hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? I feel it. And so as we pray, and as we even use this prayer as a model, we say, lead us not into temptation. So <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer, as, as, as Jesus teaches us to pray, the Lord's Prayer centers us on reality, It centers us on God's truth, his work in the world, his work in us through Jesus Christ. This is what we need to remember all the time. It it kind of gives us big ideas. I mean, that's really what I would say. It gives us big ideas to help us pray. And I've tried to to summarize those, tried to give you a general sense of, of what those are. But not only that, the Lord's Prayer points us in the direction we need to go. That is, toward our Father, whose name is to be honored, whose kingdom makes everything right, who grants forgiveness, who longs to provide for our needs, and who wants to protect us from Satan's schemes. There it is. You see, you see how that really does center you? It centers you as it begins with Father and ends with, Oh Lord, I'm prone to wander. Please lead me not into temptation. Not only, though, does does Jesus teach us to pray, but I I really want, the Psalms were his prayer book. That was arguably where Jesus learned to pray. And so, to refer back to the the quote from earlier, the psalmists show us how to need the right things and how to look in the right direction for those needs. But before I move on to the Psalms, I just want to linger back on Jesus' prayer for a minute. How does what we learn from him in the Lord's Prayer help us? And, and I'm going to point to the Lord's Prayer and then spend uh, more time on the Psalms with this. But I think there's an honesty to both of them. There's an honesty to the Lord's Prayer. There's an honesty to the Psalms. It's an intense honesty. Uh, two examples of this would be, I need forgiveness. And the reality of me needing forgiveness keeps me humble as others sin against me. Because I said it a minute ago, people who don't sin don't need forgiveness. So Jesus helps us to be honest with the Father by telling him honestly and frankly that we've sinned. Not just that we've sinned, but what we've sinned. And not only that, real life reveals the weaknesses and the downright nastiness of other people, right? Have you experienced that lately? Nastiness of other people? 
the sinfulness of other people. And so the prayer is, the sin of others steers us toward the one who can enable us to forgive those sins, to pay the debts, because he's paid mine. But secondly, in terms of the honesty of the Lord's Prayer, I need protection from temptation. So admitting that, praying that, talking about that, keeps me honest about my weaknesses and how prone to wander and be deceived I am. So can you see that? Can you see the honesty in this prayer? I I need forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I I need protection from temptation because I'm prone to wander. And so that's the the prayer. But look uh, at the Psalms. And I'm going to use the call to worship in a minute to to try to illustrate some of this. Uh, But we see the Psalms help us to pray. And and, uh, there's a rawness to the Psalms. If you've, not, if you've not read many of them, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to, to, to get into them and start to read them because what you'll see, what you'll find is the psalmists are not afraid to speak their hearts. It's an example of how practical the Bible is, how real life the Bible is. It doesn't sugarcoat reality. You look, go to the Bible, it speaks very true things about true, real, on-the-pavement life. If you're suffering injustice, physical illness, depression, confusion about life's direction, maybe your faith is brittle right now in God's promises, or you're just downright angry that God's not doing more in a particular situation. Whatever it is that you're feeling, even today, right, right now, the Psalms model how to take all of that to him, all of it. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, we want to be our best. This is part of our problem. We want to be our best before God. Prayer, we think, means presenting ourselves before God so that he will be pleased with us. And so we put on our Sunday best in our prayers, right? I mean, we, we, have you, you hear people who, who pray. They don't talk like this any other time. But they pray and they, and they start speaking as if they're trying to quote the King James Version of the Bible. Like that's, that, that's how it's been modeled for them. But that's how they think they have to talk to God. So again, Noah and JJ up here. You know, just, can you talk to God like that? Well, sure. Sure you can, right? But that's, that's sort of a physical manifestation of what is often going on up here and in here. We're all over the place. We're all over the place. The, the, the full range of human emotions is present in the Psalms. It helps us in our human experience, whether we're rejoicing or grieving angry or happy, listen, life has major keys and minor keys, right? Those of you who are musicians, major keys tend to be a little happier, minor keys, more sad. The Psalms give us every key of life, every note in between. See, it's honest, excuse me, it's easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It's somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts, and so we must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be, right? In prayer, all is not sweetness and, and light. And so the way of prayer is not to cover our unlovely emotions so that they appear respectable, but expose them to the one who can redeem them. And so I would say it this way, when our elemental, when our baseline needs meet the baseline promises of God, whittle it all down. Baseline needs meet baseline promises, prayer happens. That is, we talk to God about our baseline needs. 
and his promises. Prayer doesn't arrange our lives into neatly labeled file folders. Life doesn't come to us in those neat categories, and neither does prayer. And the Psalms illustrate this over and over. They immerse us into the stream of life as it comes randomly. But not only that, they give us a language. They give us a language of prayer. And we learn it as we, as we, uh, as we pray or as we learn the Psalms. We experience them as we experience life. And I, what I want you to see, and I hope you see this in, in Psalm 102, if you'll go to the, the call to worship and look, you can either look in your uh, Bible if you've got one or in the pew there, uh, or just use the worship folder. I want you to see doubt and faith are in a death cage match wrestling. Just like in our lives. So look at the call to worship here, one, uh, Psalm 102. And I want to look at us and then I want to look at, at God through the, through the uh, eyes of this or through the, the, the words of this speaker. The description is, and this is not in your worship folder, I apologize, but I'll read it to you. The description underneath the Psalm 102 says, A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. And so what he or she begins with is need. So just follow along with the words there. Please hear me, God. Don't turn away when I speak to you. My life is in distress and turmoil. Please listen. And then the description of the turmoil. My bones burn. My heart is withered. I forget to eat. I groan loudly. I eat ashes like bread. And I mingle tears with my drink. I'm withering. Do you ever feel like that? Did you feel like that this week? Maybe you feel like that today. I'm withering. I groan. Oftentimes, the only person we talk to in these terms is a therapist or a doctor who might give us something to help us not talk like that. Rarely do we talk to God. Why not? I think it can, for many of us, feel disrespectful even disobedient, because doesn't the Bible say, do all things without complaining, right? In my house, you, you might hear the still, soft voice whispering, suck it up, buttercup. Whatever the reason, I, I don't think we're being honest with our own hearts when we aren't honest with God himself. If I can't express myself to him, if I can't express myself in the minor key of my fatigue or my pain, then my rejoicing in him and offering praise to him in the major key time of everything is going according to plan, that, that will be weak, even flat at best. It's the difference between a disciple praying and a Pharisee praying. A Pharisee would never want anyone to hear him pray like, psalm, like the psalmist in 102 prays. A disciple doesn't care. And we're back to the Pharisee and the tax collector from last month standing in the temple praying. One sounds more like the psalms than the other. And you can guess who that was. It wasn't the Pharisee, it was certainly the tax collector, and there's a reason for that, uh, which uh, I'll mention in a minute. But look at God, watch what happens in Psalm 102, and it's not all printed for you there. I would encourage you this afternoon, if you get a minute before the end of the day, read, read through the whole psalm, but watch this, watch what happens. Verse 11 says, my days are like an evening shadow, I wither away like grass. What's it feel like to wither away? Um, it's like the St. Augustine grass in my yard. You know, in the morning, it's green, it's lush, 
it's wet with dew, right? But by the late afternoon in the Florida heat, what's it look like? It's, kind of, it's dry. It's got patches of brown. It cracks when you walk on it, right? The heat of life zaps me, and I'm helpless. So that's me, right? That's you. That's us. And then verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered You will arise and have pity. The Lord builds up. The Lord appears. He regards and does not despise. What a difference. What a difference. Just a few words about the Lord gets this guy going. And he finishes at the end. The heavens are the work of your hands. You will remain. You are the same. Your years have no end. And so doubt moves to faith. Right? That's the move here. Doubt to faith. And as you move through the Psalms, or you get to know them better, you you enter into the death match, the cage, the the cage match, you know? Like they used to do WWF, you know, they they lock the two people in there, and they're battling it out. Doubt and faith. Sometimes doubt's on top. Sometimes faith's on top, right? And sometimes it moves the other way. Faith can even end up with doubt or toward doubt. One quick example of this before I move on. Psalm 44 the writer says this. This is the beginning. Ready? You are my king, O God. In God we have boasted continually. We will give thanks to your name forever. So far, so good. Right? Sounds great. Sounds like this guy's having a good day. Right? Joel Osteen, be very proud. But listen. Listen to the very next sentence. But you have rejected us and disgraced us. You have broken us and covered us with the shadow of death. And then the ending. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're feeling this way uh, even today. This psalmist says, wake up. Why are you sleeping, Lord? Rouse yourself. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Rise up. Come to our help. Four years ago, uh, a friend of ours uh, has um, had three kids, one in middle school, one in elementary school, and a baby. uh, And he died of... Um, uh, cancer of the duo, duo, duodenum, which is this little tiny spot in your stomach, inoperable. And I'm sitting there, and we're thinking, as this whole process plays out, and he slowly moves toward death, God, where are you? What are you thinking? Of all the people in the world, couldn't you have one of these ISIS terrorists? Give it to them. Don't give it to this guy. He's faithful. He's got three small children. What are you doing? Wake up! You ever been there? The, the, the Psalm 44, it ends there. There's no indication that God answers them, except, except that Psalm 44 isn't the last psalm. And the lesson is, where it really can help us to pray, too, is knowing whether your week has been full of doubt with some faith thrown in, or it's been full of faith with some doubt thrown in, if you come to him full of faith or full of doubt, it doesn't matter. If you come to him full of need, of desperation, if you come to him weak, if you come to him destitute, as Psalm 102.17 says, and this is in your worship folder, he regards the prayer of the what? The destitute. And does not despise them. If you come to him that way, he regards you. He pays attention to you. He enters in uh, with you. The tax collector in Luke 18 was destitute, begging for mercy. The Pharisee wasn't destitute at all, and so he, he, he's not even really praying. He's just making a show. Because we see throughout the Psalms, it's the needy God helps. 
the one who cries out, who feels their need, who expresses it to the Lord, right? The Bible doesn't teach God helps those who help themselves. The Bible teaches God helps the helpless. God helps the bankrupt. And the way Jesus stayed so needy and so dependent was this dynamic. God is our Father. We are His children. And so I want to end there with the last three verses of the passage, 11, 12, and 13. Uh, if, you, if you want to take this, follow along. Let me read them again to you as, uh, as we finish. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to good give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I want to make two observations as we wrap up. I think that a conviction of the fatherly goodness of God is indispensable for a praying life. It's indispensable. It's, it's necessary. We, we desperately need it for two uh, reasons or, or two observations. First, he's a father and we are his children. What's our position? Our position is a child. Not an adolescent or a teen or a young adult. A child. And If you're a parent, you know this. The only way a two-year-old can have dinner is what? The only way you know a two-year-old is hungry and needs dinner is what? They have to ask for it. And the parents have to make it for them. They're needy. And when they get hungry, they're pretty desperate. That's us on a spiritual scale. According to the scriptures, that's us. Foundational to the gospel is our calling God Father because if he loves me so much that he would sacrifice Jesus in my place out of the sheer goodness of his grace, I can be assured he's committed to me. Right? I, I, I'm not an amen person, but that's an amen time right there. Okay? I can be sure of that. But not only that, it frees me to be real and honest, especially about my sin. I can confess to him, knowing he hears and forgives. He's not a tyrant. He's not my boss or employer who gives a few chances to shape up or, to quote Donald Trump, you're fired. Right, But it also motivates me. It motivates me toward obeying him because I know that disobeying him doesn't get me fired, but disobeying him breaks, my, breaks his heart. Right? When your children disobey you, parents, it breaks your heart. It doesn't want to make you disown them as your children, but it does, it does break your heart. Not only that, it makes me bold in my asking. If God is for me and told me that asking in Jesus' name guarantees he'll hear me, I can be bold with my petitions. And so he's a father. We're his children. That dynamic is so crucial. Not, but, but secondly, he loves to give what is good. Remember, part of learning to pray, to go back to the quote I, I said at the beginning, part of learning to pray is how to need the right things and which direction to go for them. How to need the right things and which direction to go for them. So flip these verses around. What if we did that? What if instead of asking the Father for bread or fish, we ask him for a scorpion or a serpent? What happens then? What happens if we ask for a scorpion and he gives us a fish? Or what happens, have you ever tried to do this? Have you ever tried to disguise a scorpion as a fish? God isn't a tyrant or a boss, but he's also not a cosmic gumball machine. He's not Golden Corral Buffet, right? He's a father. He's a father. He's committed to our good, not to our self-gratification. And if that's true, then why are our prayers so often more for, for more comfort, for relief from hardship? Because 
as our, our speaker this weekend reminded us, we want prayer to fuel our mission too. Remember I said that? Prayer fueled Jesus' mission? We want prayer to fuel our mission too, but our mission is North American prosperity and ease, and we want God to facilitate that. And when he doesn't, we resent him for it. But in the Lord's Prayer, notice what Jesus says. Give us this day our daily bread. We ask for bread. We don't ask for cake. We ask for that which sustains life. And the examples Jesus uses are of real need, fish and eggs, the food of a basic meal. Parents, parents, listen. It's no different than if your children were to ask you if they could eat only their Halloween candy for the week or two following Halloween. Okay, what would you say? Maybe they did this. What did you say? No. And what was your reasoning? Because it's not what? Good for you. And Jesus says, if, if we who are evil scumbags know that much, if we can do that, then don't you think the Father in heaven knows what's good for us? Father, send us the Spirit so... Help us to pray like this prayer of Jesus and feed us with the food that is needful for us. And so the promise of this teaching, the two things to take away from this uh, this morning is you have to become convinced of two things. First, your utter helplessness. Secondly, God's, the Father's great goodness. And that, you become convinced of those two things, you'll become a person who prays. You'll be able to relax. You'll do life through asking And you'll rest in the one who says, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so would you pray with me and ask Jesus to make us like that? Uh, Father, we we admit that uh, hopelessness does not sound um, good to us, fun to us. It's not something that we gravitate toward. Or even like to admit when we, when we really do feel helpless. But we ask, oh Holy Spirit, would you come and convince us of our utter helplessness before you? Uh, and Holy Spirit, would you come and convince us of the Father's great goodness. That he is so good. And that we would... Know what we really need and what direction to go to meet those needs. And then pray as a result. Come and do that work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.